Welcome to the Big Presentations Podcast, where we offer encouragement and guidance to those who make big presentations in small rooms. We believe that properly focused practice and preparation result in effective communications. I'm your host, Paul Gibson. Let's get started. And get started, we shall. Welcome to another episode of the Big Presentations Podcast. We're happy that you're here. And today, we are going to get into a thoroughly useful thing to put in your presentation toolbox. We're talking about three tips for knowing your audience. Let's get into the core content with Mike Gibson. Memorize, prioritize, and acknowledge. Those are our three words to remember today. Those three words, memorize, prioritize, and acknowledge, they help us think wisely about the audience. We want to answer the question, who will be there? Do we already know them? Is there a pre-existing relationship? Or are these people new to us? So here are three things to consider as we get to know our audience. Remember the three words, memorize, prioritize, and acknowledge. The first concept is to memorize. If there are eight people or fewer in your presentation, you can probably memorize information about each individual. Think in terms of names, roles, and interest. What is their name? What role do they play? And what interests do they have? Now, I've discovered in my own experience that I can hold information for about eight people. Your number may be bigger or smaller, but find out what it is. Test those limits. See how much information you can memorize regarding your audience members. So the first word was memorize. The second word is prioritize. There will be times when you have meetings uh, in which the audience is bigger than eight people or perhaps bigger than the number of people for whom you can memorize information. When that happens, it's time to prioritize. So then you start to think about the audience member, each audience member, and thinking about how much influence they have, what concerns they may bring to the table, or uh, how many questions they may have regarding your idea and prioritize people accordingly so that the people with the most influence or the most questions will uh, get from you the attention that they need. So prioritize according to your limits of memorization. So number one, memorize. Number two, prioritize. The third thing to keep in mind is perspectives. We want to be able to acknowledge various perspectives. Each person in your audience comes to this issue from their own experience and their own concerns. They see the issue through a unique set of lenses. You want to be able to speak that truth and to be able to connect with people as they see the issue from their own perspective. Now, it's also good to acknowledge your own perspective, the angle from which you see the problem, the lenses through which you view it. You want to do so with the humility of knowing that your perspective is not the only one. When you are able to do this, you will earn the respect of your audience. 
you will be able to articulate multiple perspectives, which shows that you know they exist. So our three things to consider are memorization for as many people as you can hold the information about. Number two, prioritizing, especially when you realize there's more people there than you can memorize information regarding. And third, having the humility and the wisdom to acknowledge multiple perspectives. When you are able to memorize, prioritize, and acknowledge perspectives, you are well on your way to delivering big presentations in small rooms. All right. So I'm excited to talk about this and we will get into talking about the three tips for knowing your audience. But as always, we like to touch back on last week's topic. So Mike, give us the quick summation of what we talked about last week. Yes. Last week we talked about three easily forgotten presentation visuals. Everyone thinks about their screen, their PowerPoint or their keynote or their Prezi, whatever's up on the screen. And they tend to forget about other equally important presentation visuals. For example, the state of the room. If people are having to watch a presentation while sitting in a mess, that's going to reflect poorly on you. The second easily forgotten uh, presentation visual is attire, making sure that you are dressed appropriately. There is no such thing as a one-size-fits-all outfit. If you, uh, you may be underdressed in one situation and overdressed in another situation with the same outfit. So you need to know what outfit is most appropriate, most effective for the situation that you are in. All right, so we think about the room, we think about the attire, and finally, we think about our mannerisms. Our facial expressions communicate so much. Our, our gestures communicate so much. Uh, so if, if our if our words and our gestures don't match, that, that creates confusion and dissonance, uh, distraction for those who are listening to us. So we want to make sure that we are purposeful in the way that we set up the room and the way that we dress and in the way that we use our voice, our face, uh, and our gestures. All right. Sounds good. So those are the three things that we always forget about whenever we're thinking about our, uh, our visuals. Oh man. If you guys knew how ironic that was, oh man, we always forget about something, but that's okay. Now we're going to take a quick break. We're not going to forget to do that. When we come back, we're going to talk about the three ways that we can get to know our audiences. I think you guys are going to enjoy this conversation. We will be right back. Hey, it's Paul here reminding you about another podcast that is part of our family of podcasts. Mommy needs a moment. Do you have a mom in your life that just needs a break? A few minutes to recharge, get energized, and know that she's not alone in all the things that she has to do every day as a mom? Well, check out Mommy Needs a Moment and be inspired all in under five minutes, three times a week. Find it on your favorite podcasting platform. And welcome back. We are going to get into the nitty gritty of this. We are talking about three ways that we can get to know our audiences, which let's face it, that is huge because if you don't know who you're talking to, you are inevitably going to say the wrong thing. <laughs> yes. So what's the first tip in all this? Let's go over this and we'll get into it. The first tip is to memorize. And you may remember all three of them, memorize, prioritize, and acknowledge different perspectives. The first one is to memorize information about the attendees as much as possible, given 
the limitations involved. Now, Mike, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I really yeah. stink at memorization. <laughs> I, I just do. But I get that it's something that you have to do to be able to remember your presentation. But when I'm already thinking through mm. all of those things, so I don't have to glance down at my notes or heaven forbid up at my PowerPoint. <laughs> now you want me to memorize everybody's name to this is a lot. I'm just yeah. saying. If you can memorize information about the people in the audience, you should, because it's going to give you another boost in credibility and in engagement if you can memorize and then appropriately apply that knowledge. Okay, okay, okay. I'm not good at being appropriate either. So with that being said, <laughs> what do we mean by appropriate? I need you to narrow this down for okay. me. Okay, all right. Help all me right. out. All right. So let, let's say that you're you're presenting to an unfamiliar audience. Okay. If that's the case, and you can discover information about the participants, things like their names, what role they play in the organization or what title that they have, and both their interest in terms of hobbies, that kind of interest, but also their concerns or interests about the content that you're going to be sharing with them. So if you can keep that information in mind as you meet them and interact with them, then you can guide the conversation in ways that will be more meaningful to them. That makes sense. Okay, so we want to avoid yeah. being weird with that information though, right? We're not going to be yes. like like all mentalist or Sherlock Holmes and start telling them <laughs> about their lives and what they had for breakfast, even though they didn't eat there from the second they walk in the door, because let's face it, that's going to creep some people out. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So you don't want to be creepy in the way that you use the information. Uh, that's why we say be appropriate. So have this information, use it appropriately. Also, you know, if, if you try to be Sherlock Holmes, you're going to look really bad if you get something wrong. Amen. Which which reminds me of, of a one time when I was a kid, I went to see this magician. This magician claimed to have magical knowledge about people in the room. Okay. It started calling out people and having them stand up while he revealed little known facts about each person. Sounds impressive. It was. It was. Until it wasn't. Oh. <laughs> because he, he, he got to like person number three and that person was like, what? And the people sitting around him were like, who knew this person? Like, what? That's, that's not this person at all. Uh -oh. And then he got to person number five. It started saying things about number five that got the same reaction, and they realized that he had got them mixed up. <laughs> Oopsies. Oopsies. Yeah. So, you know, then it just became creepy, you know, yeah. and disingenuous. And, you know, the magic was gone. The curtain was pulled back, and everybody knew he had messed up. His preparation was not as good as he thought it was. Uh, oh. So if you're using the information to guide the conversation, then if you're wrong, you can simply go with the flow and it won't be weird. That's a good idea. Okay. So, so yeah. for example, say uh, one audience member is really into baseball. So you start okay. up a conversation and mention something about a recent game, but they don't seem like they're interested in what you're talking about at all. It's, that's not a really a big deal, I guess, because you could just change yeah. the subject and, and keep the conversation going on a different topic, and it's not, not a big problem. But it's much different that if you tell them that you know them really well, and it turns out you don't. 
Yeah. So, so you want to be well prepared with information about those involved uh, and then just weave it into the conversation or guide the conversation in ways that provide them openings to talk about things that they really care about. That's creating rapport and engagement without being weird or having to be such a high risk situation. That's true. That's true. So that's good. You've already mentioned this a little bit, but the first one is is to just memorize, but the second one is prioritize, right. which is important, I mean, on so many levels for anything, but especially in this because you've got to figure out what your limitations are and then you have to prioritize because you can't say if there's a ton of people in the audience, you can't know all of their names, you can't know right. stuff about all of them, but you can figure out stuff about key people in the audience. That would be really important. So I think that's a really good tip to have included. Yeah. yeah. And this tip keeps us rooted in reality. Many of our listeners, they deliver presentations to bosses and coworkers. So they spend a lot of time with these people. They already have knowledge about them. For them, there's no need to memorize anything. Just wisely use what you already know. But other listeners are having to deliver presentations to people they've never met before. And that makes the process more challenging. And for most of us, these presentations are not the only thing on our calendar. We got a lot of other stuff going on. We can't just drop everything and spend countless hours perfecting both the presentation and our knowledge of all the participants. So there there will be times when these limitations keep us from being able to memorize information about audience members. Maybe there's too many participants or maybe there's just not enough time. Okay. So when that happens, remind me again, exactly what is it that we're supposed to do if we don't have enough time to do all of that? Okay. All right. Let me, let me tell you a little bit more about my background. That'll inform the answer. Okay. So I've, I've been delivering workplace presentations for about 30 years. The first 15 years involved mostly familiar group. So when I came into the room, I knew most of the people there. I could easily connect with them, ask about specific things in their lives and and strengthen that rapport. Now, for the past 15 years, the most recent 15 years, more of my work uh, involves new groups of people. So it's common for me to be in a room, small room, but a room filled with people that I have never met. And the situation is not conducive for me to discover information ahead of time. After doing this, living in this reality for about seven years, I realized something and I wish I had discovered it much earlier. I realized that if I focused, I could memorize information for about eight people. The name was the most important thing. I could attach names to faces for about eight people. And for some reason, just the way my brain is wired, if they shared other information with me, that information would come back to me along with the name. And man, this was such a big help for me because even if there were 20 plus people in the room, eight is a pretty decent percentage of the room. And if, if it were appropriate and I could call them by name during the presentation, it makes it look like I know just about everybody Yeah. when I know those eight. So I don't look as much like an outsider when I know so many people where there were larger groups, even larger than 20. And I would do this some with the 20 as well. I would see who the connectors were, who seems to know everyone. Those are good people to meet and to connect with because they are probably influencers. Cool. Okay. So, so the point is that if you can't memorize everybody, then be very purposeful about who you go through the effort to memorize information about yeah, yeah. 
who has right. the most influence, who do, who do the most other people know, and right. who's going to be maybe the most difficult to convince mm-hmm. in your audience, yeah. and yeah. who's going to yeah. have the best questions. So you might yeah. uh, end up yeah. clicking most easily with someone so that they become an ally for you, and, and you focus on those people because that'll kind of yield the most reward. They can serve different purposes. The influencer can make your voice louder without you having to raise your voice. Uh, The people who are most difficult to convince, if you start getting through to them, then you are almost by default getting through to everybody more effectively. If you're able to take seriously that person who seems to to be really detail oriented and, and asking a lot of questions, uh, when you take them seriously, uh, you might be answering questions that other people were afraid to ask. And this person's at the one who's willing to do it. And of course, if you find somebody you click with and create a quick ally, then if things aren't going well or you're feeling really stressed or insecure, you make eye contact with that person to get a quick boost that they're on your side and and they're listening. So all that to say, if you don't have the ability to learn anything about the audience ahead of time, then get to know as much as possible in the moments before the meeting starts. Okay. But I can see some people saying, well, you know, I'm just going to say that I really just don't have time for all of this to do all of this extra work. We recognize work hasn't, everything else hasn't stopped just because you have this presentation. You do have other stuff going on. And when you come into a presentation, maybe you're thinking, I really want to be focused on other things besides people. I want to just be focused on making sure my equipment's right or, or doing a last quick review of my notes or, or whatever. It is important to recognize your limitations, but recognize those limitations while not looking for excuses. Amen. <laughs> because <laughs> yes. because to, to know your audience, that is a valuable gift and excuses can rob you of that gift. So don't look for excuses, look for opportunities to be able to get to know your audience. And if you lose that, then, then you've lost a, a powerful element to an effective presentation. Absolutely. I think that's 100% right. I've got a for instance I want to throw at you to see what you think about this. Um, okay. Sometimes a good way to break the ice in a presentation is is some humor. And sometimes a really easy right. way to do that that can connect you with your audience can be knowing kind of a person in the audience that, that you can kind of gently pick at because everybody knows them. And all of a sudden you have like this united giggly feeling about something that that's that's funny because they they are in on the joke because they know the person who you're picking at hopefully lightly but but do you think that that's a good idea (laughs) because obviously you have to know enough about the person because you you know your audience to know something about them to maybe gently poke fun at that can be effective it can also be risky okay so there there's a lot of wisdom involved in in that it 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 reminds me of a of a time when uh, I was at a, uh, a, a religious event okay, and, uh, it was a, a gathering of, of Christians, uh, from many different places. They all came together for this, what they would call a meeting, you know, they'd call it a gospel meeting or something like that. And, um, one speaker was introducing the next speaker. Okay. And of course, in, in Christianity, the highest compliment you can pay somebody is to say that they are like Jesus. I mean, that's that is it's hard to ex, uh, explain how high of a compliment that is. And so <laughs> this this older guy is introducing this other speaker and he says, uh, 
brother, I'll just call him X. Brother X here is, I, I've just got to say, he is the most godly man that I know. He is uh, so Christ-like. When I think of him, it reminds me of Jesus. He is just so much like Jesus. Of course, I know Jesus wasn't as squirrely looking as Brother X, but... <laughs> <laughs> And when he broke out the squirrely looking part, every, the whole room exploded in laughter and Brother X was so relieved to be <laughs> off the hook for this standard that was being set that he is he is laughing in relief as much as anything else that it took that turn. And uh, but this guy knew his audience and he knew the person that he was joking about and he knew what he could say. And it be both funny and appropriate. So I think I think being able to do that effectively requires an even higher level of not knowledge about your audience. You got to really know and be tuned in to who your audience is and what the members of them are, are like in order to do something like that. But if you got that knowledge, well then. That could work. That could be a lot of fun. Yeah, it seems like that would be the kind of thing that would work best, like you were talking about, uh, when you're giving a presentation within your own workplace to coworkers who you're around enough to know kind of what will and yeah. won't fly. Whereas if you come into a place where you don't know everybody and you realize the guy who is the man in charge wears a toupee, you probably <laughs> don't want to take a chance on commenting on, uh, you know, the boss's rug because maybe he doesn't acknowledge that he has it and you're going to hurt his feelings and never get invited back. Yes, that's true. Or yes, that's right. That's right. So it has to be, has to be appropriate. So as just a general rule for me, uh, when I am coming into a place to host a big presentation in a small room, um, I don't make a lot of jokes. I smile a lot. I'm quick to laugh and enjoy being there. And the stories that usually come out uh, as a meeting flows, a lot of those stories, they provide plenty of humor that somebody else may be taking a risk at or somebody else who knows the crowd can make a certain comment or just funny stuff happens. Right. Yeah. And we can laugh about those things and move on. Uh, so I don't risk it. Because most of the time, I am in situations where I'm, I just am not going to have that knowledge. Uh, now, it could be there are occasions when uh, I am in a series of meetings. Uh, so I'm going to be with a specific group of people for six to 12 weeks. Wow. As that familiarity builds and you get to class six or seven or nine or 10, then those things can naturally happen and be appropriate because everyone has gotten to know each other over the past few months. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And also they've, uh, it's not just you getting to know them. They've also gotten to know you. And it seems like if you did slip up and make that joke that, that was inappropriate early on, then you don't even have the goodwill equity of them thinking that you're right. not a jerk. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Because you're making this first impression in a bad way. Right. So you want to make sure that you're building up a lot of relational cop capital, a lot of context. So they can see that you're a trustworthy person of character 
and then they're much more likely to cut you slack if you if you misspeak <laughs> or, or say something you you shouldn't have. Uh, okay, so so uh, we want to make sure that we memorize as much as we have the opportunity to memorize because that's a gift to be able to know our audience. We prioritize knowing that not all audience members are created equal. Of course, they're not all uh, alike. We just want to make sure that we go in well prepared. For example, I have a meeting next week that could result in some opportunities for me. Okay. So I'm already memorizing information about the attendees of that meeting because I want to be able to quickly build relationships that will pave the way for those opportunities. I'm getting ready for that. I want to be able to to weave conversations, guide conversations uh, in ways that that allow them to talk about things that are important to them, uh, which will then build trust in, in me because they can see I truly care about them. Fantastic. I like that. We're so happy that you're listening to this podcast. Give us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever the equivalent thumbs up is on your favorite podcasting platform. We so appreciate you. And now we're going to get back to the show. All right, so we're taking a quick break from the normal content of the show just to kind of check in with each other because this is when Mike and I just really get the chance to hang out, which is a lot of fun. So, Mike, what's been going on with you this week? Oh, man, this week I have been learning a lot. I talked last week about developing online courses. That is right up my alley. I love developing content, and I'm familiar with the tools to do so. But I've come to quickly realize the bigger challenge is selling that content. Okay, And marketing is outside of my realm. I'm having to learn about marketing and more specifically having to learn about sales funnels. And if you just look at a glance at the concept of a sales funnel, it is such a big, vague, overwhelming concept. And so I found a resource. I'm so thankful. So that's what I did this week because I started learning about sales funnels. Nice, nice. This week was interesting for me because for the first time it really started uh, as as a DJ, not only on the radio, but doing like weddings and parties. It seems like maybe there's a light at the end of the tunnel for things getting slightly more back to normal because all of a sudden I'm getting a lot of inquiries about availability to DJ weddings most specifically. So it'll be nice to kind of get back to that sense of normality. And of course, it's always nice to have another gig. And and really, when you're a DJ at a wedding, you are a presenter because you're interfacing so much with guests and and doing announcements and kind of keeping things on track. It's it's very similar in a lot of ways to doing a presentation. I just don't have to talk nearly as much. That's good. But still at the same point, it's like you can you can tell a difference between a uh, wedding that has a good DJ and wedding that has a bad DJ. Oh, uh, that's yeah. Very different yeah. memories. <laughs> that's true. Yes, and I've experienced some bad ones. I think one of the things that you do so well is you intuitively know how to function not just as someone who's playing music, but as someone who can create an experience and provide information. You know how to MC an event. Uh, and where where the frustration I think comes in a lot of times is people hire a DJ thinking that by default they're getting an MC. Right. And a lot of times what they're getting is someone who knows how to mix tracks and play them. They don't know how to articulate. They don't know how to to even really speak coherently and they don't want to. Right. In their minds, their job is just to play the tunes. And 
people get a, a gift when they get you because you know how to you know how to do that. You know how to make some music and you know how to create the event for them, and that's that's good. <laughs> so I was at a wedding where I was tempted to just go over and, and relieve the guy of his <laughs> post. This wedding had a meal, okay. and so everyone's sitting down, and and they're they're waiting for the bride and groom to come in, and they you know they're going to announce the wedding party and, and all of that. But there is that time where everyone's just waiting, yeah. and most of the time, well, I don't know if this is most of the time or not. I haven't been to that many weddings, <laughs> but it seems like the most appropriate thing to do is to play positive, mm-hmm. easy to listen to music during that time. Yeah, it's not the dance time yet. Right. You know, but but it is it's a happy occasion. Yeah. This DJ played a song list, a limited song list, because it looped through two or three times while we were waiting for the bride and groom. Oh no. One song on the song list was Hotel California <laughs> at a wedding. You can check in, but you can never leave. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that's awful. That's yeah. what else? What could you play that's worse than that? <laughs> there is something. Yes, there is. Careless whispers. <laughs> Somehow I knew that's what it was going to be. <laughs> hey, what? Careless? What are you doing? Never going to dance again. <laughs> Never going to dance again. Yeah. So yeah, it, it, and and, and as we are talking about in this episode, ramble. Know your audience. <laughs> no. Yes. Know your audience. And hopefully this is not really the music that is good for the situation is hopefully they're not depressed that they're getting married. And, right. you know, yes. that's, that's yeah. a good thing. <laughs> Golly. Well, we'll get oh. back to the episode, but we just want to check in and, and ramble a bit, you know, off topic because it's a lot of fun. But we'll get back to the episode and learn more about three ways to know your audience. It's Paul here letting you know about one of the other podcasts that I get to host, the Life While Parenting podcast. My wife, Sarah, and I talk about all the ups and downs of parenting, everything from the crazy slang that kids use these days to how to get through a pandemic while parenting. The Life While Parenting podcast, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Let's talk about perspectives. We've talked about memorizing, prioritizing, and the third is to just acknowledge that there are perspectives, especially ones that aren't your own. Oh, it's kind of like knowing that there's a moving target because we all see things from a certain <laughs> point of view, and it's almost silly when you first realize, oh, wait, the way I see things isn't the way everybody else sees things. Of course, that's oh. true, but we don't often act that way. <laughs> That's true. This is really good stuff. Acknowledging perspectives. This is information I wish I had learned when I was much younger. So, Paul, one of the things that you and I have in common is a love for music. So uh, let's approach this acknowledging perspectives in terms of a concert. Let's say we're going to see one of our favorite bands. Uh, For our listeners, you can imagine going to see your favorite band. So we go to the concert and we we have a great time. It wasn't perfect because they didn't play some of the songs that we were really hoping for, but we, we still enjoyed it. And that is our perspective. But that's not the only perspective. So how many other perspectives you think are formed at an event like a, a concert? Okay, well, we could start thinking about like different categories of kind of people okay. who are there. Biggest category is fans. They're the people who like the music. They're familiar mm-hmm. with the music. Maybe they've been listening for a long time. Some fans, of course, will have a better time than, than maybe we did at the concert. They heard every song that they mm-hmm. wanted to hear. Maybe others had a worse time, though. They were drugged there by a buddy 
who really likes that band, but they just really don't care about that band. They just wanted <laughs> to hang out and not be at home by themselves. Right. But then again, there's also the weird things that happen that that you might not think of at first until you're at a show and you're standing there. The band that you've been waiting for comes on and a guy sidesteps in front of you and you realize that they are six foot eight inches tall and you now can see absolutely nothing. You gotta uh, love that. <laughs> uh, man. Yeah. So just in this one category, there's a lot of diversity. Yes. Okay. So uh, another group would include vendors. Now, mm-hmm. their perspective is determined by how much money they made and how well the concert goers treated them. A- another group similar uh, would be the security team. Their perspective is determined by how rowdy the crowd was and how much physical abuse they had to endure while trying to maintain the crowd or, or maintain the, the border up at the front of the stage. <laughs> Somehow I'm thinking this is not like a singer-songwriter crowd that we're talking about in this time. <laughs> this is not a coffee shop concert. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. Storm the Barriers! It's Sarah McLaughlin! <laughs> 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 oh my goodness okay okay so oh. all right so another group another group that okay, you're going to okay. see at the show and you might not even often know that you oh. see them but they're they right, have a right. completely different perspective it, i'm still cracking up from that <laughs> um is the road crew the people who show up they drive the bus or the van or the big rig that's got all the stuff depending on how big the concert is they help mm-hmm. set stuff up they are the ones who are awake early in the morning they do the driving. They do a, a lot of the very hard physical work, and then they often sleep <laughs> during the concert <laughs> itself. So they have a completely different perspective of how great a concert is. <laughs> oh man! Yeah, yeah. Oh, so their perspective might be determined by the mood of the band. Oh yeah, you know, and, and how you know how well they were treated as they were trying to set stuff up. Maybe uh, how the band who was opening for them. Or the band that they are opening for, how well their crews did their job. So that's a big one. Another big one, of course, is the band themselves. Uh, yeah. Because they have a unique thing that a lot of people don't think about. I mean, people think about the band playing the one show that they're at, and that's usually mm-hmm. it. In my job as a DJ, I've interviewed bands before, and one of the big questions that always gets brought up by fans is, especially for a band that's been around for a long time, why don't you make another album that is blank you know if it's metallica it's why don't you make another black album or 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 whatever you know it's like why don't you make another album that is just like the one that is your biggest deal a lot of times it'll be their first record and oftentimes if the band's being honest they'll say well because we've performed those songs about a thousand times and we want to perform a different kind of song so we make a different kind of record so then we can diversify our set when we play live so we don't have to scream the entire time or we don't have to play (laughs) super fast songs the entire time or whatever just to keep it interesting and that's a different perspective that we don't often think about because they're having to live this sometimes two three hundred days a year and playing shows almost every night of the same songs (laughs) yeah yeah i I remember going to see an, an artist i really liked back in the 90s Okay. And it was a singer songwriter and he had a small, but kind of cult following. Okay. It was a small enough venue where there was like some conversation, a little bit of conversation back and forth between the crowd and the guy on stage. And one of them yelled out, play 
And it was like this guy's most popular song. He hadn't played it yet. And the guy, I mean, he just sagged. I mean, his shoulders went down. He shook his head and he said, I am so sick of that song. Aww. Which just, you know, let the air out of the whole room, you right, know, because right. almost everyone there was there because they wanted to hear that song. Right. And so he was he was falling down on the job. I mean, it's it's a hard thing to do to have to bring the energy and the excitement every night for a song that you got sick of six months ago. But it's your job because that's what the fans are there to see right. is a great performance of their favorite song. So sometimes the band is really struggling to stay up or the artist is really struggling to stay up simply because they may be physically exhausted, but they're also just might be tired of this stuff. Yeah. And that's not a perspective we often think about. Yes, that does color how you perceive a, a show, and especially if you're yeah, thinking yeah. about how the band didn't play that one song you wanted to hear. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, yes. Okay, so we've got all of these different categories with diversity among the categories. And each person has a unique perspective. And the same is true of any event, including big presentations in small rooms. So when you're in a meeting, there will be as many perspectives as there are people in the room. Yours is not the only one. And they're going to view your content through a lens that's formed by their experiences and by their responsibilities, just things they've got to take care of and how what you're bringing affects their daily work. And of course, there's office politics and life in general that'll further shape that lens. Yeah, for sure. And I've been in some meetings where people were excited to be there and others just really would rather be honestly anywhere else. And, and I've, <laughs> I've been both of those people. <laughs> yeah, yes. I've been in meetings where an audience member felt like they should be the one up front and Ooh. I should be the one sitting down and listening to them. Yeah, young whippersnapper. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, or now it might be you old guy. What do you don't know? <laughs> but it's all a matter of perspective. <laughs> there we go. That's right. Yes. Yes. Now, I've also been in meetings where one person is just really having a great day during something that mm. happened during their day in their personal life, something at home, whatever. But then somebody else you can just tell is just on the verge of a breakdown because of something bad that's happened in their life. And you know that they are just teetering on the edge of tears. And that's yeah, that's a hard thing to balance. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They're in the same meeting, but they are not experiencing that meeting in the same way. So uh, I hope, listeners, I hope this is really sinking in because this is life-changing information. If you can respect this reality and address the various perspectives, you will be more effective. You will develop a reputation as a wise person. So as you get to know your audience, you'll be able to envision each perspective and then customize your presentation to be effective in this unique situation with this unique blend of perspectives. There you go. So that completes all three tips. So memorize, prioritize, and acknowledge perspectives. And if you can do that, even though it might be a little extra work, you're gonna know your audience better, you're gonna relate to them better, and you're gonna have a bigger presentation and a better presentation in small rooms. Have you been able to use some of the things that we talked about on the show? 
let us know about it. Give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what information you found the most useful and made your presentation better.